Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Rakuten is the online shopping platform that rewards you for shopping. They're the smartest way to shop and save, with cash back when you shop at thousands of merchants. You can earn cash back at over 3,500 merchants. You can shop merchants in every single category, like fashion, beauty, electronics, dining, and so much more. You can even earn cash back on subscription services and travel. Membership is free, and it's super simple to sign up. Once you are signed up and start shopping, Rakuten deposits your cash back directly into your PayPal account, or they can even send you a check. Rakuten already has 15 million members who are saving. It's a no-brainer. Earn cash back while you shop. Start all of your shopping trips at Rakuten.com, or get the Rakuten app and start saving today. Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Good afternoon and welcome to an emergency podcast. The world of football has collapsed around us. Arsenal have joined the ranks of 12 other rebel clubs to create a Super League, a closed shop worth $500 million, $350 million signing on fee, um, $150 to $200 million, uh, a season. Football fandom has gone crazy. Gary Neville has lost his mind. Arsenal fans are quitting their season tickets. They're protesting outside the stadium. Football is burning. So I'm joined with uh, three guests. Uh, first, I'm going to introduce you to a new person uh, who I've been talking to via email, another male internet friend that I've met over the years. <laughs> Daniel, um, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Uh, ex- explain who you are and what you do. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'm, I'm the face of evil capitalism today. So I'm a venture capitalist. Um, so I just wanted to, I guess, share, share my view from a business perspective, but I'm a long-suffering Arsenal fan. Um, and oddly enough, it's, it's my experience of sitting in the cold, watching us play one of the most crap games of football on a Thursday night that kind of helped shape this opinion. So um, what do I do? I invest in early stage software companies. So I'm used to being wrong all the time, which makes me <laughs> great about this. But at the same time, we're, we're contrarian thinkers. Um, so 
thought hot take for me. I am so pro this as a football fan, as an Arsenal fan. I couldn't even be could be more pro it. I mean, to be to be on a call with two people that work in advertising and be the most evil on the call is quite something, and it's making me feel good. Um, <laughs> the reason that we've got this podcast going is because Matt called me uh, last night after a, a few beers and uh, unleashed on me that I wasn't an innovative thinker, that I was looking at this situation all wrong. And like, Matt, uh, welcome back to the show, obviously. Uh, but give us give us your hot take because it's not far off Daniels. You're you're a mute. If you're going to be pro this, you've got to, you you've got to uh, unmute yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I gave you a call last night, admittedly after a few beers, um, and had my hot take. And you know, you, you have to look at this through the through the lens of where we are as a football club. And yesterday we had Moel Nenny starting in midfield. We were we scored a, a last gasp equaliser against Fulham at home. So um, I see this very much as a reprieve and a way of um, helping stop the slide into mediocrity. Um, we may just be able to uh, maintain some relevance, even if it is completely undeserved. Johnny. Uh, I brought you into the I brought you into the the conversation because everybody loves you on the pod. But I was kind of hoping that someone was going to have the back of the fans here. Someone was going to be about nostalgia and football. Johnny, like, help me. Well, um, uh, what, what can I say? Let me be the voice of socialism on this uh, podcast. Okay, <laughs> going to skew. skew skew the needle a little bit little bit towards the uh, capitalist world. But no, um, simple facts of the matter are, from my perspective, this is an absolute disgrace. Um, and I feel ashamed. I feel ashamed to be attached to Arsenal. It's um, one of the worst things that has happened in all of the years that I've supported Arsenal. You know, I'm in my 30s now. Can't tell you my actual age because it might affect acting opportunities. But, um, <laughs> you know, I... Uh, 30 and a half. 30 least, and a half. At least, every bit of it. But, no, um, yeah, look, the, the reality is, is I think this is... We're now into the end game of where the forces of capitalism really get their claws into football. And for what I love w- with regards to, to football is it's, you know, birth in the working class roots of this country... It's a, a working class venture. It's something that should be for all people to be able to enjoy. It's why it's different to equestrian or, you know, pheasant shooting. At the end of the day, you don't need grounds to be able to do this. Any kid can pick it up, pick up a football and start playing. That's why it's the world sport. That's the global sport. And the fact that some people are trying to rip um rip our clubs and this is the way I see it rip our clubs away from us the fans just to try and corner a market and 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 monopolize um football to, for their own ends their own financial gain is deplorable and I want absolutely nothing to do with it well it's forceful I mean this is uh this is a, it's it's an emotional it's an emotional thing I, I woke up this morning feeling like I'd I just I just had a breakup chat with someone that I was in love with and I, I felt disgusting. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably more leaning towards where Johnny is. Like on the face of it, I'm disgusted. 
it's like Stan Kroenke has been trying to shortcut Arsenal back uh, to to glory without putting his hand in his pocket. Really, for for the you know over a decade now, he's consistently failed. Uh, Arsenal are sliding into mediocrity, and I've been banging the drum. Arsenal have got to do things the hard way, like build a great infrastructure, like start selling players, like create something we can be proud of. Start their own Champions League. Yeah, and what, is, and what does Stan do? Big slap in the face, said, don't worry about it. What we'll do is we'll create our own clothes shop competition based on, on, on a brand. It's based on the power of, of our brand. And it's, it's, not something to be, it's not something to be proud of. The only counterpoint that I have to it, and not the counterpoint, like feeling like I've got to align myself with UEFA who have, have been giving uh, World Cups away to countries that use slave labor, um, that are like FIFA, one of the most d- deeply corrupt organizations in, in the history of the world, feels, feels odd. And also, like, you know, like from a, from a business perspective that we'll get into, like what, what happened to, you, to UEFA where they have undersold content rights for football to the point where Arsenal Arsenal can pick up a $350 million signing on fee. I mean, it shows you like what, what an unbelievable miss has gone on there. Um, but moving into uh, like moving into the first phase, because I want to break this up because I, I, I do think it's, um, I, w- I want to go through some of the, 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 the top arguments. Like let's talk about this. Um, let's talk about football for, um, from a fan perspective, because one of the arguments that keeps on coming back to me is the modern fan doesn't see football as uh, as like a, a traditional fandom where they follow one club. The modern football fan sees football as content, like it sees Netflix, like it sees Red Dead Redemption. And the the take is that the modern fan and the torch holders of modern fandom are not us uh, per se, and football competes with all of those other platforms and they've got to modernize. Um, Johnny, what's your take on, on, on the shift in tastes and like the, the, the competitive set now? How do you read that? Yeah, well, there's, first of all, there's no question that, you know, um, the pandemic and its impact on football has ultimately driven this, if, if not created the notion, because we have heard about this for a number of years now, it's certainly put a massive accelerator onto it. Um, the fact is, is these owners, scumbag owners, um, are looking at a situation where they don't have fans in the stadium, so they're not making any money from match days. They're making all of their money uniquely now from it being broadcast and, and those fees and obviously merchandise. They'll sit there and go, well, like we can talk specifically about Arsenal. We're based, based in North London, but the majority of our merchandise probably gets sold in Asia, Africa, uh, America. Like so much of their business is not contingent on serving the local community and the local fans as it you know once was. So they don't have any ties to the heritage of the club. But I don't think that, you know, that that's the way they see it because they think that they look at it through a strictly business lens and they think at the end of the day, we can, t- we can pick up our ball and play in a different playground. And they don't realise the ki- how deep the passions run when it comes to football. This isn't just, we're not watching EastEnders. People die over football. You know, I'm not saying they should, but people give up their lives for the football. They, their whole lives change because of this. It's more than fandom. It's, it's a love affair. And, 
when they think because they've come away from a different country and come into the country and not had that historical context probably explained to them, they think they can do whatever they like and they are going to get a serious, serious wake-up call with this. It, I don't think it will happen. And I think that the benefit for Arsenal will be that we actually get rid of this chairman because he won't be able to stay after this. Daniel, what do you um, what do you like? You know, you work in an area where um, laser focused uh, targeting and understanding of what you're trying to achieve is part and parcel of what you do. Like, how how do, how do you respond to the idea of like the fandom has changed and football needs to change with it? Yeah, I mean, if and I, I hate describing football as a product because for me it's more than that, right? It, it's something emotional, it's something you grow up with. I hundred percent agree with Johnny on that, but. If you were to look at, say, the football rich list as a, as a proxy for fan engagement, size of fan base, and why, why do you do that? Um, what, what that kind of says to you, the football rich list, is how much money can you make from selling stuff to your fans or how much money are people willing to pay you to sell stuff to your fans? And therefore, where, the higher you are, you rank on that list. It either means you've got really rich fans or more likely you've got more fans or more engaged and fan base so sadly it goes way further than you know north, north london it is global so well we have one opinion we you know we grow up we go to games we're really bought in emotionally we're the minority of fans football is global i can't remember how many people watch the world cup it was something like a billion um so we have to just i guess face up that we're not the custodians of the club anymore um it's a, it's a global thing and um, you, you can argue that should the clubs bring in the most fans to the game, get a, a, their fair share of the TV revenue? Well, one thing I'm going to push back on there is when you when you mentioned about, you know, we are not the kind of archetypal fan or whatnot. The, the facts of the matter are, is this is a product that gets sold around the world, but the fans are intrinsically part of that product. Every fan, even if you're in Zimbabwe or Thailand, you know that Arsenal is a London club. It's got people who represent London in the sta- in the stands, in the stadium, the passion. Look at AFTV, which is, you know, you can have different views on that, for instance. But that is like an absolute viral hit because it's real Londoners talking about Arsenal. And whether you like it or not, people want to, they, they attach onto that passion in a way that I don't, I'm not so sure... You know, someone who's been following football for two years and lives in, you know, another country can. Like, part of the product is the roots of the club and how passionate fans can be about it. And without the fans, what? why the fuck do I care what Arsenal do? Why do I care? I don't give a shit. It's just a rich guy who's bought into this club who I don't like. And all the players change all the time anyway. So what am I attached to? If we don't have our legacy, our our history, we have nothing. And and quite frankly, we'll be better off watching EastEnders. Matt, what um what do what do you think about the debasing of fans that are uh, more casual, more <laughs> interesting? As and I think Jody's point about we're not EastEnders. This does kind of feel like we're moving into that <laughs> where we are creating a drama for people to tune into. Versus like something of more substance. What do you what what would be your concerns about this? There's, there's yeah, there's two big there's two big threads of of thought for me. The first one is um, this has been coming a very very long time. It's been uh, 
a slow erosion of old football and 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 it's slowly become our club arsenal has slowly become a pure business just to a commodity and you know i look back to when i first started going to highbury um in the early 90s just before the premier league started and then the premier league came and did an incredible job at uh, merchandising and packaging up football that we all loved. Um, and then you had that sort of almost like golden era, which was, in my opinion, and it also com- it was married with, with Arsenal being hugely successful between sort of 96, 97, 97, 98, we won the double. And then, and then us going and, and being um, invincibles in 2004. And that was really... Uh, in my mind, when football changed once more, because you had uh, um, a billionaire come in and uh, buy a football club, and it meant that we were unable to compete. It was it was no longer a meritocracy. It was about who had the most money. That's what happened after the invincible. Uh, after that, and since then, you know, we had the move to the Emirates, um, and frankly. Like Arsenal as a club, like as a community club, has been dying every year since. So many people have been priced out by the move of the Emirates. We sold the name to an airline. Um, the amount of fans who used to be able to afford to go who couldn't, who could no longer afford to go. Um, you know, I remember my mum who used to come and sit with me, and she had a t- season ticket with me for um, a decade turning around to me in about 2007 and going, you know what, I just don't enjoy this anymore because it just feels like, you know, commercialized, you know, business. Like a, it, it just feel, doesn't feel like Arsenal anymore. So this is not a new thing. <laughs> this has just been happening over a period of time. And I think that this is almost just ripping the Band-Aid off and just it's not even pretending anymore. You know, it's it's that it's 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 Arsenal is a business. Arsenal doesn't care about fans. Arsenal doesn't care about the community. And if you thought for the last decade that they did, or you were pretending to, well, hopefully this has made you wake up and shattered you from those illusions because they don't care. I mean, that's just then they haven't cared for a very long time. So. Um, Can- can you, uh, like, someone tweeted yesterday, oh, I can't leave socialism alone today. Someone tweeted yesterday, can you imagine the Liverpool owners explaining this move to Jurgen Klopp? Like a very outspoken man that but, pretty much only went to Liverpool because he liked the story, he liked the yeah, working class story. Yeah, look, look, he's a master of telling those stories. But the reality is, um, you know, that franchise, and like, yeah, we now use words like franchise, is um, is the exception versus the norm. You look at the owners of all football clubs. I mean, they're a pretty disgusting bunch. Like, who is... They've all gone. Like, like the old owners, the old style of owner, the, the, you know, the rich guy who loved the club, who grew up with it, you know, uh, whether it be Blackburn Rovers or Liverpool or Everton, they've all gone and been re- replaced by franchises. I- I'm just amazed that, People honestly were just clinging on to this idea that that football hadn't that the, the football that they really imagined it to be hadn't already gone. I think this is just a a bit of a cold glass of water in the face as to the absolute reality of where we sold we 
we sold our soul a long time ago. We made so many mistakes. We didn't care about financial fair play. And this is the result of all those cumulative decisions. And I'm surprised that it's a shock to everybody. What is it that's that's leaving such a bad taste in your mouth? I mean, the difference between watching the Champions League on Sky or the ESL on Amazon or Disney Plus. I mean, ultimately, as fans, the, the experience is going to be the same, is it not? Right. So, so for me, um, one of the massive issues is around integrity of competition. And, I mean, we're in a particularly, particularly uh, bad position to be involved in this proposal right now because we are fucking shit. And <laughs> simple facts of the matter are, it's embarrassing when you're getting fucking handled by Burnley <laughs> to roughed up by teams like that. And you're like, you're going to be in a breakaway league playing Real Madrid two times a year. What is going on? It's embarrassing. It is absolutely shocking. And we're getting had up on social media all the time. Johnny, don't you, d- don't you think it's more embarrassing to be stuck at home playing Burnley while Chelsea and Spurs are playing Real Madrid and Juventus? Absolutely not, no. And that is because um, the fact is, is I, as every, every football fan knows, when they start getting into football, you make your deal with the devil. And that is that success is not promised to you. You have to stick with your club through the bad and the good. That's the way it goes. And, you know, one of the reasons why so much conversation, Fred, on this pod recently has been essentially the values of the club, what we will accept what we see as progress, what we see as, you know, acceptable performance and return for a manager who's new in the position. And ultimately, my criteria comes through our history of our club and the way that we've done things and the level of attainment that I expect us to reach because that's what Arsenal do. We're the third most successful team in England and we need to continue that. That's our standard. That's our base rate. So, for us to go into a league when we haven't earned it, I mean, Arsenal were in a terrible position with this, a very unique one, in the sense that we never actually got promoted to the top league in the first place. We keep just get given, get given our league positions and we just crack on from there. We'll never get relegated from that other one because we ain't been relegated from this one. But, you know, the, the idea that we can just get given our places, whereas teams like Leicester... And, you know, West Ham, who are having good seasons and they deserve to be rewarded for good seasons. And we deserve to be to have the consequences of shit seasons because striving for excellence um, and, you know, making those breakthroughs should be uh, the re- rewarded with success, not just existing. Because then if we're doing that, then, you know, the thing is, is if Arsenal do that and we lose our soul, then why do I support Arsenal anymore? Why not I just oh, I like this player, I'll just do that, like I do with NFL. There are no toys. But, the, 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 but this whole thing around fairness, though, is what I find so odd as, as part of the argument, right? Because um, football isn't fair. Like, life isn't fair. Football, is, football certainly isn't fair. And, and I say this as someone who really grappled with a lot of... Uh, I had a lot of difficulty accepting um, that we were the best team in... Europe in 2004 and then Chelsea were able to come in and basically buy the league and I had a lot of difficulty accepting that because it felt so unfair it just felt so unfair yeah but the reality is that's just football now and 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 and, and club the Chelsea were allowed to do it Manchester City were allowed to do it if you ask a Chelsea fan 
who won the league for the first time in 2005 or whatever it was, whether, whether I guarantee they enjoyed winning the league in 2005 as much as we enjoyed it in 98 or 2004. There was nothing, there was no sense of feeling undeserved or unfair that they'd won it. There was just a joyfulness that they had, they had won it. Those were, those are the rules, right? There are no rules. You know, you can do what you want. That's like, these are all the mistakes that have been made. And even before that, was it fair that Manchester United were able to buy Roy Keane for 3.6 million because they had a bigger stadium because they had more money, you know, like there's never been this sort of fairness. And I find it so strange that everyone's now like, Oh, it's, it's unfair on this club. It's unfair on that club. It's unfair that a club in the championship (laughs) gets screwed over. It's unfair that, you know, fairness is not part of, it's not part of football. Maybe it's a pretense, but it's just not a reality. That's, that's the bit that I don't understand. I think, I think, and that's one of the, one of the arguments. I don't think we get it too much in the Premier League because we're quite lucky that we are the richest league. Uh, in Europe, because we've got the breast product, so even shit teams can buy three or four like top quality players. But I think one of the one of the thoughts that's going around in Europe at the moment is like, from a competition perspective, there actually isn't much competition anywhere in Europe. Like particularly when you get outside of the Premier League, like the only team to since PSG have had billionaire owners to make a, a dent was Monaco in you know the first full season of Unai Emery unfortunately for him um you know Italy like how many times outside of Inter Milan has a team broken into uh, the top echelons of Italian football uh, like Greece Olympiacos mostly win it Scotland they mo- mostly win it so it's like um it's football's not actually that competitive and i think um, Rory Smith did a great article about how Champions League money um, and the invitation of other clubs in Europe to come into that competition completely butchered their leagues. So, like, I, I, I do, I do kind of get that. But I, I'm also with Johnny on the point. It's like it, clubs that have made their way to the top that shouldn't have, when it's through petrodollars or, or whatever, they still had to buy players. They still had to have a good manager. They still had to make their way up a table. It's just Arsenal's way back in is like, I'm, I'm taking the ball mentality. It's like, there's no uh, meritocratic, there's nothing meritocratic about it. And like, surely at the base level, football is a sport, right? To, to lock yourself in a horrible little league. And I, like, I, I, I did want to move on to the next part because it sort of leads into my next question. And I, I wanted to get um, Dan's, take because like you seem to be so pro this but like we, we move into this horrible like like we're just in it because we're better than you and we've got a bigger name that was built up over a hundred years of actually being pretty decent but we're going to be in this because you know we're we're the bigger boys in this situation like what do you think uh like how interesting is a super league going to be when there's mid-table clashes and there's bottom of the table clashes like if the reason people watch the champions league and they enjoy the last 16 or the quarterfinals is because everybody can win it. And um, once you can't win it, you're out of it. Like how exciting is bottom of the table Arsenal versus PSG going to be in a November? Like, like surely good product has to come into this at some point. Like what would be your take on, on that angle? 
That's a, so that's a super interesting question. I've been, it's the one that's been kind of rattling around in my head all day. So I think the first thing we need to unpack is, you know, is it a league? Well, it's not. It's, it's just the equivalent of the Champions League. If you saw the announcement this afternoon um, on the new format of the Champions League, it's two groups of 10 in a league, then going into a knockout. It's pretty much identical to this. Um, so this isn't a new league. It's, it's, a, it's the Champions League equivalent. And if you go back the last 16 Champions League finals, there's 32 finalists, there's 32 teams. Of those, only one is not in the founding 15. If you're assuming... PSG and Bayern are two of the mystery three, which they're obviously going to be like, Bayern doesn't pass up an opportunity to be a greedy monopolist. Um, so, you know, is there competition? So that was in 2012, 13, when Dortmund played Bayern in a final in, in London. So you could say 97% of Champions League finalists in the last 16 years have been covered by their founders. So is it any different? I, I, would, I would argue no. And the fact that they've got the bonus spaces, I think that makes things more competitive. If you know you're in the league and you know Arsenal, Man City, Man U, Liverpool, Chelsea, sadly Tottenham uh, are going to be qualifying automatically, I think there's a good chance. There's probably a better chance because it means the seventh or eighth team. So someone like a West Ham or an Everton who have a blinding season or a Leicester have a wild card season and win the league they're absolutely going to get in the competition that year because people want it because the fans want it so I would argue it actually makes it more interesting and more competitive what it kind of gets rid of is is the nonsense it's the it's watching the it's the trips to the Ukraine it's the Boris Batters love it's the games I unequivocally do not want to watch it's the games I the games that made me sad sitting in a freezing cold Everett Stadium on a Thursday thinking why have I given up my evening to be here this is drab so I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's actually better for the fans. Um, there's loads of, I've just heard that I disagree with. So let me come back <laughs> with Dan and Matt. Like, and, and, like I, I do get where you're all coming from on this. I get your argument. I don't agree with them, you know. But for a start, uh, Dan, to start with the situation of, you know, doing away with the bar, say, Borisov fixtures, which I, I do kind of get. They kind of, you know, run the mill. But... Without fixtures like that, the Barcelona fixtures stop becoming special. That is why those fixtures are like you pick them out and go, can't well, wait That's a new one. thing. It's a new thing. We didn't have that. When it was the European Cup when we were kids, it was just the, the winners of every league. Yeah, and yeah. But it's, it's runners up. Do we need 36 teams in the Champions League? I completely understand that point. You know, I remember those days where it was just the champions, but. It's been changed for a long time. You know, did did the Premier League need to come in instead of having the first division? I think, broadly speaking, uh, we would say that it's been a positive. Both the Champions League produces quality, exciting football year on, year out. Um, and, and, you know, there are lots of debates as to what might come in its place. Like if there are, are um, kind of uh, alterations made to the format of the Champions League, I get that. But in general, if you're playing Barcelona, Real Madrid all the time or Spurs three, four times a year, you lose the, the, the novelty of those big matches. They stop becoming special. It's just run-of-the-mill shit. And the fact is, is that I don't see how you can have... There, there's loads of stuff there. Pete knocked on some of it um, about the merit, uh, meritocracy of sport as well. You know, and, and, and I completely accept the point Matt made about how uh, Chelsea and Man City with their financial doping. I think Arsene Wenger once called it, and it's a, a, a very good adage. 
you know, um, they did change the metrics of competition in this country, but they still had to do it within the same framework that was already established. So they skewed the handicap towards them. But like you said, for eight, forever we've had handicaps. What this is doing, it's not about handicaps. It's just full on morphing the format. So the spirit of competition disappears. We can't have the level of competition or, or the kind of competition that we all love without relegations and promotions. And having Everton get in one year because they had a good year, first of all, that wouldn't happen anyway because the 14 clubs have all said, you know, we are going to have nothing to do with you. We, we'll be lucky if we don't get relegated out of this nonsense, you know. Like, if it crumbles, you know, they're going to be like, look, you guys are going to have to do some time in the bin, get in the championship, earn your spot. But what are we, <laughs> yeah. what, what are we thinking, though? Because my, my sense, whether rightly or wrongly, is that the Premier League is going conti- to have to continue. They're not going to have a product without the six clubs. And so this is just replacing the Champions League that we're not in. They, yeah, they, they, uh, I, I think that maybe Johnny Dassa, like the slight, uh, so you get, they'll get wild card entries. So if Everton win the Premier League, like they can get in through the back door or like qualification, still a bit embarrassing. Arsenal being like Premier League leaders, <laughs> you can try and get into this competition after we've just finished 14th. Exactly. But, um, one of, one, if you give, um, if you give the top six Premier League clubs uh, 500 million to spend on players, like the like, do you think there's merit in the rising ship argument that actually that that filters down to clubs? It puts more tax into grassroots. Actually, the more money the top six clubs make, like the the better it is for everybody. Is there is there merit? And I'm just devil's advocate because Johnny, I'm 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 with you. I'm I'm socialist uh, on this. But <laughs> like, what what do you think of the the rising ships argument? I think, you know, if there's a bigger fallacy than trickle-down economics, um, I haven't heard it. The fact <laughs> is, is that, you know, this what we're talking about is a full-on monopoly, uh, you know, and and even though, yeah, we might buy Wilfred Zaha for 50 million and then Crystal Palace have money, the fact is, is we all know our economics work, you're, you're changing the value of... The product and 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 money essentially. If you have more of it, it's like um, uh, you know quantitative easing. We're like, oh, we'll just pump more money in so we can buy all the players. But then the, it devalues the currency or overvalues uh, but, your players. But I, I literally like. I don't mean trickle down economics. I mean that if the Premier League has more exciting players and it's richer all of the other clubs get richer. Like the reason the Premier League is strongest in Europe pound for pound is because like they do collective bargaining and everybody gets a huge sum. Unlike unlike Spain, where the top three take the majority and everyone else is fucked. So I'm literally saying more tax, more wages, like that tax runs into more grassroots because Premier League clubs can afford to do more. I, I see your point. So two things. Number one, I think that what you're going to see here, this isn't the end game. This is their biggest stand. And I think they have, you know, oversold themselves here. I think they're uh, being a little optimistic that they're going to get away. I don't think they will get away, but I know you guys are kind of disagreeing. But um, in general, uh, in terms of raising the, uh, product, the level of the product, if you like, of the Premier League, I think what makes the Premier League such a... Uh, exciting commodity to be sold around the world is the competitiveness of it. It means that when you go to West Brom, you might get banged up. 
Like that, true, and yeah. We've been, and we've been paying our dues this year for the Premier League product. <laughs> we get banged up every week. <laughs> we're getting banged up. Like anyone who wants to take strikes out of us, we're taking it, taking them <laughs> down. It's like you know. But the thing is, is it's not been good to be an Arsenal fan. But you like this year. But you understand it, and you understand what it's for, and you dream of better days to come. The idea that we just you know, make it so there aren't any bad days or there's a, a minimum level. I, I find that disgusting. I really, really do. And um, as I say, I, I think personally that they're overplaying their hand and I think, I don't think it, it's a formality by any stretch. And I think this might be the exact opportunity where we get our owner out and we get all of these owners out because I think it, with fan collective action, we could drive these guys, these parasites out for once and for all because we'd stop going to games, we'd stop buying the stuff. And suddenly their, you know, nest egg of an asset suddenly devalues quite quickly when you have fans in open revolt and willing to switch allegiances, essentially. Matt, is, uh, is, do, you, do you think that Johnny's right? Is there, is there such thing in football as like going too far? Is this is this too far for some fans? I don't know. Um, is the answer? I don't think so. I think uh, the clubs have all held hands and gone. Um, we think that the Premier League doesn't have a product without us, and we think that this is what we're really doing. Is the Premier League will continue as is, and this will replace the Champions League, except that we get all the spoils and we get guarantees. And, you know, Italy, I think today, said they're fine with it, basically, <laughs> from what I can gather. Uh, the Italian clubs will all compete in Serie A, you know, as usual. And then they'll go into this, you know, European Super League as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I think, you know, this idea of, like, fans revolting and owners caring. I mean, over the years, we've seen that that's not, not true. I mean, I, I mean, I spent I spent best part of a decade trying to get us and Minger out, and and <laughs> and, you know, and there was some, there were some pictures from, from outside the Arsenal Stadium today, and it was like you know, eight men and a dog with a couple of banners. You know, it was embarrassing. This wasn't like everyone marching in terms of people um, giving up their season tickets, and you know, there's always been people who are unhappy with the way the club is run. Um, I got my season ticket in 97, at the beginning of the 97, 98 season because the person before me had given up their season ticket after Paul Merson was sold in disgust at the club. <laughs> and then I took their season ticket and we went on and went, won the double that year and replaced him with Mark Overmars. You know, it's just, uh, there's always, it's always the same, but the reality is there's always someone willing to step in and take that seat. You know, we're in London. It's like, it's been said for a long time. Going to Arsenal is like going to the opera, going to the, the theatre. It it is whether we like it or not. It's 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 that's that's the competition. Dan, can I reframe yeah. it a bit? Because I, if I look at this in a slightly different way, which is, I don't think it's any more different than when David Dean all the Premier League clubs together and said we're going to form the Premier League because we feel together we can negotiate a better TV deal. And that's what I'm seeing here. I see UEFA who get zero sympathy, basically taking a larger share of the profits for not doing a lot for, for probably what would have been a difficult job years ago of negotiating the TV deal for many countries, many networks. Now, go and negotiate one deal with you know, Netflix, 
Disney and at your Disney Football Club, you think we are the product. Why? Why are we letting you take the majority of the money? You're talking about making you know 120 million a season versus 20 to 50 million a year for winning the Champions League. And it isn't just a Champions League replacement. So I think it's just swap, swapping the badge of the Champions League and, and picking out the criminals. And as, as an Arsenal fan, I feel this is our compensation for adhering to financial fair play and you wait for not upholding it. And uh, so I'm, I'm more than happy with this. Well, I wanted to ask you, Dan, if you, you know, you work with, you work in these circles of like, uh, like very rich people that, you know, do these things like um, the, the, uh, in the world of tech, but like what, um, what, what could be an obstacle? Like what, what would, um, what stops this? What gets this um, put in the bin? Like, because it, ha- it has been in the past, right? Like Arsenal tried this a couple of years ago and it immediately fizzled out. Like what, what stops this happening? So I, th- I think what would have stopped it happening in the past would have been the broadcasters. And so Sky were very powerful and they're not now. Um, they don't have the, the budget of, you know, someone like Netflix, Amazon, Disney, who can now sell this from one platform to a global audience. I uh, was discussing with a friend what, what could actually stop this. And we figured that the FA do something really petty, like say the referees can't um, you know, uh, referee those matches and therefore they have to kind of build their own officials. But other than that, I can't really see anything. Um, and even then, you just throw money at the problem. You just say, right, refs, leave the FA and we'll pay you twice as much to, to officiate our games. So I struggle. I think this is 15 clubs realising they've got the power and they're taking the initiative and they're no longer letting you wait for determine how much they get paid. I think it's a real kind of big dick energy power play and they've, they've played it brilliantly by doing it all at once. Um, what do you, like, I feel like um, a lot of, there's been a lot of is- intervention in um, in business from around the world over the last year in particular, people trying to protect their medical infrastructure. TikTok was... Uh, you know, on the banned list by Donald Trump because they they were saying mean things about him. Like, is there any possibility that, you know, uh, Boris Johnson's come out, Keir Starmer's come out, the sports minister, Macron has come out. Is there any chance that, like, Europe will say, this is, this is, a, this is a cultural institution that you're wrecking or will cronyism and... The, the thing about that, Pete, though, is that they're not wrecking... The, the people... The decision to not let these clubs participate in the domestic leagues is not. Is, it's, the clubs aren't saying they don't want to play in the Premier League, right? It's the no, Premier League saying you can't I, play in the Premier League. I mean, would could European leaders come together and say this closed league is not what we do? It could be damaging to smaller clubs, and it. But, could... but, but if you're if you're in Italy, uh, and you're like. Yeah, Serie A is going to be absolutely as normal, except that for our two Champions League clubs, instead of playing in the Champions League, they're going to play in a different competition that's going to bring them infinitely more money. Like, like where, what, 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 why are you anti that? You know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're in government, what? Uh, um, uh, that's what I'd say, but I saw um, just earlier, just before we came on, um, the cultural secretary apparently is threatened to blow it up by banning foreign clubs coming to the UK to, to play games. And I think you've been on this. this oh, my God. The UK is <laughs> like building a wall. Um, <laughs> Brexit. It's true Brexit. We're not going to let foreign, foreign clubs come onto our shores. 
Johnny, what what do you what like what would you see as a real like you know you're obviously extremely anti this. I think that you speak. I, I rang my dad earlier and he sounded you know very similar to, to to you in tone. And I think a lot of fans are speaking in the in the tones that you are. What do you what would you see as a way around this? Like how do how do the fans fight back apart from do the thing that they never do, which is like tear up those subscriptions? Um. I definitely think it will come ultimately through fan power and fan pressure. Um, and that will be, uh, first of all, with the checkbook, hitting them with the checkbook, you know, and it does mean no longer going to games. It, see, see, the thing is, you've got to remember one of it. Yes, this has been talked about for a long time, but the reason why I say the pandemic kind of hit the fast forward button on this is because these clubs have lost a lot of money, money in recent, in the last 18 months. And this is their... Um, the kind of burner under their arse to get this going now because they want to try and recoup some of that. And, and and they're sitting in the situation going, as you guys, uh, Dan and Matt, were saying about, we're the biggest clubs, we should be earning the most. And, you know, we've had to lay off Gunnosaurus Rex, we're going to need some <laughs> money. But, you know, and I, and I, and I say. Can you that, believe the cheek of the Gunnosaurus Rex well, when they knew this was coming? This is, this, is the, this is the thing. Now, I say that as, as a little bit of a quip, but also that's actually a serious point. And this yeah. is where the issue comes from me. That whatever you say about it, all the people who, who work at Arsenal are local people, you know, give or take. They're people whose jobs depend on the club. The club, you know, I don't know how it feels to be an Arsenal fan if you, you know, live in Beijing and you've only watched football for a, a year. I don't know. But I know how I see, see Arsenal and I know what it means. And I know that, you know, I care that the club look after the local community and the people that they employ, they, they act respectfully. And that is why when they laid off all those staff, that was a, a massive chip for me. Like, I, I, it was hard to see all that nonsense. But, you know, there were a few clubs doing it. But to then come out within not even a year's, six months' time and say, now we're going to do a breakaway league to make loads of money, but we've laid off loads of staff, I think it's just deplorable. And I will have trouble... Look, what, what, when, we, when we talk about the connections to our clubs, and Matt spoke well on it earlier, but, you know, a long, it's a long time since having all our players being local boys and stuff like that. We're going through a good period for that at the we moment. Are, yeah. you know? but, but it hasn't always been like that. We were famously the team who were fielding 11 foreigners. I don't like this kind of, you know, nationalistic stuff, but it, it was true. We always did. We didn't have loads of English players. But... You know, this notion that they in some way represent you and it's nice to have some London boys in there, you know, um, who feel like they know the club. We always talk about this. You feel like you know the club, what it means. When we start going into this, are you going to tell me that players like Smith Rowe are going to get a chance in the big league? Because no, you've got eight teams and then suddenly, is he one of the... The Matt will probably say yes to whatever I say here, but is he, you know, uh, a top eighty player in the in the world or a hundred player? And 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 all of a sudden you get really stifled when it comes to bringing through youth. If your name's not Lionel Messi, you know, I, I think these guys might get a chance, but probably be having to play in the Premier League, which is a, a an under league now. So I am. Um, I think that ultimately the government, um, who I'm no fan of, but I still think that they. Uh, will feel an inclination to get involved and try and scupper this in what ways they can. And that might be, for, it will be cynical stuff. You know what I mean? It, whether it be, you know, some clubs are not allowed to come over and uh, play. There'll be issues with competition. There'll be, oh, right, we're, 
we're doing roadworks all around the Emirates Stadium, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, and obviously married with fans, outright uproar and saying that we don't want this. I, I don't think they'll be able to do it because they'll just have, they'll lose the interest that they, they think they've got some innate right to, to have all of our interests and our adoration. And I don't think they do. I, I get the fact that Matt got his season ticket from a disgruntled uh, season ticket holder, but there's a difference between selling Paul Merson and selling your soul. <laughs> uh, you know, um, Beautiful line. So for me, I, I, I'm not so sure the person giving up the season ticket this year will have someone biting their hand off in the same way. Johnny, I, actually, I love that point just before we move on. Um, I, I love the point about part of the thing, like, the only thing that I love about Arsenal this season is the young players coming through. And we know that Arsenal's inclination before they found out that young players could do a job was people like William. Like now we've got the money to just shortcut it every season. There's no need to to have Smith Rowe bum about for a few games when you can sign someone that can just do the same thing. And I, I like the, like you by by leading into we are a content shop, not a sports club. You almost invite, you know, you 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 write your own, you write your own future. Like you then become like Netflix, and I, I will unsubscribe to you when it's not quite right, and then I'll I'll, I'll go to Barcelona because I, I have no affiliation with the culture around your club. I think these are all good points, right? But the one thing I'd say is, um, I think there's been something happening over the last few years, and certainly I've got like a a, a Gunas WhatsApp group. And one of the one of the sort of narrative threads over the past few years is uh, general disgruntlement with uh, with Arsenal as a club um, and the way they treat their fans from a pricing standpoint, from an atmosphere standpoint, from a uh, feeling ever more removed from real, honest, good football that we sort of remember from the past and 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 and, and look back to. Definitely, we. we with with rose tinted glasses and i think rightfully so i don't think i'll ever enjoy football as much as i did you know in that period you know when i was when i was younger and it felt like there was more of a connection and 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 the other thing that you've seen therefore is that a lot of people are like you know what um leighton orient are my second team or brentford are my second team or whatever dagnum and ribridge and 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 basically it's it's a sense that and, and and you saw it with like AFC Wimbledon and you know the you the, the Man United or whatever whatever Salford. That, with Salford, this is not a new thing, and it may well be that this is just like a new era where people follow a Super League team and then they also begin to follow a team that is lower down the league in the Premier League, and that's the team they prefer to go to and watch in person, and then these are more like content events. I know that sounds completely crazy to think about it, but the future is always changing. And it's not that I like that idea. It's not that I want to go and support another club, but these are trends that are already happening. Like how many, how many Arsenal fans from the seventies and eighties who used to go every game and stand on the North bank and the clock end now go and watch lower division football. I mean, it's a lot. Because they got they got the, the club screwed them over, um, and I think that this is just like we're, we're going to see a, a new era of supporter if that if that happens. Johnny, you said something really interesting um, about 
but you know, sacking some uh, the Gunasaurus, you know, making some people redundant, and then going and doing this, and I, I guess my question would be, do you not think the two things are linked? I, I don't know if you guys are as boring as me, but I quite like Swiss Ramble. I look at the Arsenal accounts every year, and there's been a real trend of Arsenal becoming a club that's broke. Um, and this year was a real kind of make or break year for the club. And the fact the pandemic's come, I, I would be surprised if, if the club's quite close to going insolvent. So I look at this as not necessarily a greedy move, but it, it could be a desperate move. Um, so, you know, making those staff redundant is, was a means of survival, as, as is this. And so just to flip it, I guess, on its head, would, would you rather we join the breakaway league and take the 350 million signing on FA, or do you rather we're sold for a pound uh, or, you know, bargain basement price like Chelsea was for Abramovich because they were in trouble? Well, well, it's so funny that you say that, you know. I mean, what are we going to do here, guys? We're going to cry for the capitalists. Are we, are we, I'm going to get my violin out for Stan Kroenke. It's not going to happen. Sell the club, you twat. Get out, you know. The money, you just invited Johnny into that. You walk right into that, Daniel. <laughs> Yeah, you know, look, at the end of the day, uh, you know, if we're just going to play which billionaire owns us, Dan Goatee, the African billionaire, wants to buy the club. There's been loads of offers. We had Usmanov sniffing around for ages. There's no sympathy with Stan Kroenke. You know, the, what, one of the nastiest, most pernicious um, kind of beliefs held around Arsenal is that we do things the right way and we'll always, you know, we buy into that shit. I do. Like, we're a bit classy, you know. And we've all, you know, football's always been run by capitalists. It's always been run by rich men who can afford to own a club. But, you know, not screwing people over is something that you take pride in. It's a, it's a badge of honour with, with the club. And that's just going down the shitter. I, 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 I don't know, like, if, if you can't afford to pay your staff, then you don't. You shouldn't run the club. No one wants you here. Not, there's no one crying for Stan Kroenke. Please stay, Stan. You've done so. Get out, mate. Get out. You know. Uh, so uh, one other thing I just wanted to think because it popped into my head as well. You talked about ways that this might stop. One of the other the, one I've talked about fan action. The other thing that we've not really talked about is player action. And when one of the biggest threats that will really, really carry uh, weight with the players is this talk about you're not allowed to go to a World Cup. Now, some people in my WhatsApp group were talking about, oh, the players won't care. You know, it'll just be money. There is no way that so, so many of these guys, what, what are you dreaming about when you're kicking a ball around in a the playground? There's you know, no way people would ever do that. It's 500, that's 500 players, though, Johnny. That's going to happen. I, think I mean, well, well, whatever you say, it, you know, I, I completely get, um, you, you might not agree that it will happen, but they are openly saying that that will happen. They're going to get banned from international games. And if that does happen or if that threat does start to gain credibility, um, you know, there'll be players opting out. Are you really going to want to play in this weird Super League when it means you can't play for your country? loads of the country hate the way that this has been formed and you're playing for. There's not going to be the same adoration about playing for these clubs anymore. And I think there'll be a few players who are ready to opt out of it. Not least think, the fact that... I think someone will start another World Cup outside of FIFA. <laughs> Two World Cups? Yeah, we we'll just have another World Cup in the same way we've now got another Champions League. You know, one, um, one area on the... like I read this story in Wired a couple of years ago after they had that big Russia scandal um, where they were letting um, people buy ads on their platform. 
And um, it was talking about Mark Zuckerberg and how he was trying to navigate all of these problems that he had. And one of his problems was he got invited to Rupert Murdoch's mansion and Rupert Murdoch and all the media people were like, you need to start playing ball with us and you need to start feeding more money into news. And if you don't watch out, and then Rupert Murdoch created campaigns all around the world about breaking up Facebook. And they've been doing it. And now in Australia, uh, tech firms have to pay the media people money. And the the Premier League writes that he's crown jewel at Sky. And I wonder whether, like, he, he's already turning on the afterburners with all of these people that work for him at the moment. He's got immense reach around the world. And I wonder if football clubs will have to worry about... Uh, Mur- uh, Murdoch has gone after bigger billionaires than himself. He's a powerful person. He's not afraid to flex his muscles. And he knows all of these dark arts. I wonder whether the press around it will become too... Uh, you know, a contamination point for clubs that they can't handle, like... What, what yeah. do you think about siding with Rupert Murdoch, Johnny? Well, no, I mean, uh, please don't. <laughs> Let's not frame it like that. But no. yeah, sometimes um, that can happen every every now and then uh, when the moon shines a funny way. But, the, you know, it as much as that guy is a beastly, ghastly man as well, um, you know, it will be a cross-party political allegiances that come and attack this. This is this is the issue. If it was just lone voices standing up or just one club going, don't do it. And if it was just the 14 clubs who were excluded going, don't do it, you know, they're naturally not going to carry the same kind of uh, credibility with their declarations because ultimately they're, being let, they're the ones being left out. Uh, protestations, I should say. So for me... Um, I do think it will be a unified voice, but what, what I, I'm more encouraged by this because I, I still, and I do um, appreciate everything Dan said, but I don't think that this is, I don't think it will happen. And I think that this is a real opportunity for us as football fans to reclaim some of the stolen ground of, of previous years. I think that once you win a victory like this, and that may come from players going on strike, managers going on strike, fans boycotting both live events and merchandise and and really changing the shape of the finances around football so as to unsettle the clubs even further and, and make them have to rethink what they're doing. And I think at that point, when you get these clubs on the back foot, there is grounds to... Re- it's not enough to say, scrap the idea, scrap the league. It, then we start talking about fan ownership in clubs. We start talking about, you know, reasonable ticket prices so every fan can actually come and has a chance to come and watch it and the next generation of local fans are being able to come and watch those games so I think that um through personally this is my thing my belief that through overreaching here they will end up losing a bigger war further down the line because this is not going to be as easy as what they think it is I really don't think so Dan do you think um do you think horrendous consistent flow of shitty PR almost like the way that the Murdochs create division is quite often through faux patriotism like I don't think it's difficult to whip up fans that read newspapers and websites into believing the you know the divide between the billionaire ownership class and clubs do you think terrible PR around the world can shift this absolutely it's happening now look at Johnny um (laughs) 
No, but I mean, they, it has already started. I don't know if you saw the Leeds players came out tonight with T-shirts saying something like um, Champions League, you have to earn it. Um, you know, Sky have rolled out every every ex-Man U Liverpool player um, come out and condemn it. So I, th- I think this is the start. And they're, they're a business that is troubled. So this is, this is, they are being attacked by the online streaming platforms. You know, they still think, drilling an ugly dish inside your house and putting a box under your TV is the way to kind of share content with people. So this is the beginning of, of them kind of I guess, fighting for their lives. So I think they're really going to come out. And I think that is going to make... I'm, I'm less... I think the fan, fan point is an interesting one. I'd love to, I'm really curious as to where this goes because I don't think... I think with the money being coming in from the TV companies, the scale of it, kind of limits the impact fans could actually have. Um, the reality is we're going to watch the games on, on right? We might, maybe there's an opportunity for the clubs to do something clever like reduce ticket prices and make games more, live games more accessible. But I, I doubt that will come. But I'm really interested to see how this plays out because I, I think the fans' power um, diminishes the longer this goes on just because of the sheer fund of cash. I, do you know, I actually think, I, I, I think the opposite. I think the quicker Arsenal can get this done, the better for them. And I actually think the power is in delaying it. You know, like it's, it happens in the, the the Senate and Congress. If you can delay a bill, then you can whip up more of a frenzy. And I, I wonder whether, I wonder whether that's the move. I wonder whether like Murdoch and those, those people are like, if we can kick up enough, because if we can kick up enough of a sustained storm, then we can keep on adding more and more and more weight to this. We can start to unpick stories of CEE bonuses, CEO bonuses off the back of this. We can start talking about, we can run analysis and work out how this fucks the little guy. And then all of a sudden you've got a TV crew up in Sunderland saying, my family depends on this chip shop or, you know, Sunderland are in trouble already. And this is going to, you know, to Johnny's trickle down economics thing, it doesn't work. And this is going to fuck the little guy. And then, then, then it, then the ultimate for it is to turn it into a political issue. Yeah, right? so, uh, some like football filibusters, if you like, to kind of, you know, slow it all down and uh, yeah, de- delaying, making it harder to ever get over the line. I've, I think one point that's been made as well, Pete, which I think is great as well, and is certainly uh, very, it's always relevant, unfortunately, but particularly now there's a focus on it. When you look at the reaction that UEFA have come out with with regards to this, these proposals, widespread condemnation. Everyone's coming out. There are threats of bans from competitions. Um, clubs essentially getting just, you know, completely um, marginalised through their, the potential threat that this European Super League poses to these uh, paymasters. When you look at their mealy-mouthed response to the racial um, abuse and, and racist incidents recently, and it's uh, who's getting a 10 grand fine today, you know, um, sounding, they're getting fined the same amount you can win on the chase. You know, it's, it's, the, it's, it's, the, it's, it's bollocks. Johnny, so, Sky made Monday night football free, <laughs> free to air. Je- uh, I think I've read somewhere, uh, James Milner has just come out against. Like it's okay. beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. You know, Klopp. The death Klopp, Yeah, Klopp, Klopp launched a tacit kind of um, 
dressed down a bit anyway. He couldn't go too heavy, I think, but he will do. I'm, I have no doubts. But, you know, this is what I'm saying. Like, when they try and say our hands are tired with regards to responses to racism and stuff, this is what happens when the bosses feel that their finances are being threatened. It's because they care about it because it's money. If it's something that so many of us are calling out to say we want real action for real change, this is the kind of infrastructure and mechanisms that could kick into gear. But yet they refuse to. And for anyone who thinks that, and I don't think I've met anyone, you know, in my lifetime who does think that UEFA take racism seriously. No. But anyone who does, you know, must look at this and go, oh, they could have done this maybe. Yeah, exactly. There's a blueprint for action when it comes to something you really don't want to see anymore. And we know that football has... Obviously, racism is a society-wide issue, but football has an opportunity and it's been changing things in society for all of our lifetimes, for generations. And, and that is why, ultimately, the fact of how significant football is in terms of the fabric of life, the reason why it's not EastEnders, the reason why it's not just you know the, the theatre, is because of the social change that it has helped enact over these generations. And that is why I don't think we will lose this argument in the long run. And uh, as Thierry Henry said when he uh, dropped off social media, it's like if 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 football put as much effort into making sure that its rights weren't abused by Twitter users <laughs> as it did into racism, we'd have solved it. Yeah. And again, this is an, a, a prime example when there's a big issue like racism going on in football, they're all on Zoom calls working out how they can steal the game away from the fans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, I've got a question uh, for you guys. One question, if, if we've got time. Um what do you think's happened if the the German teams who seem to be taking a stand um, don't join? Or do you think they they eventually just say, "Well, I need to be in it," or you know, "Am I going to join this Champions League life with Olympiakos and, and the gang?" Or I, I, or do they, think, do they say the right sort of, "Well, I have to join this league." I think that um, if there's one country in Europe that would take a stand against this because the people said so. Um, and it was, you know, based on the, the ethics of football competition, I, I think it's, I think it would be them. Not that Bayern Munich is a bastion of, you know, competition. Like they're ruthless in debilitating those around them with their superior financial power. But Johnny made a really good point earlier about, um, you know, fan ownership in sport and what Germany has right in the main, apart from, uh, you know, maybe Hoffenheim and Leipzig is fan ownership. And I, I wonder if it would be a national shame, much more so than it is in, in the UK, for Bayern Munich and Dortmund to move over there. But, you know, like Johnny, what do you think? I, I think that um, this would be a question of time. And that would be, if this gets over the line and does play for three seasons and they just kind of uh, the, the the clubs that have broke away grit their teeth and get through it then Bayern Munich will will eventually go into it like three or four years down the line because money will talk at that res- in that respect but what they've done in the short term is well they've played it quite smart for a start by rejecting it they get the plaudits of being you know standing up for the fan and the little man but you know they're probably have a way in further down the line. Everyone knows they have a way in down the line, but um, I, I, I don't think there'll be, certainly with the kind of furore that has been generated initially, they won't be looking at it going, oh, let us in, actually. They'll be like, we're better off out of this. I mean, 
when you got PSG getting out of it as well. Another another team that are not renowned for celebrating competition and owned by you know oil barons as well. So these are these are not guys that we would typically say are you know standing up for the little man. That I think because there are those chinks in the armour in terms of the ownership of these elite clubs, Bayern not being in it, Dortmund, PSG. I think there's enough there. That's what will unsettle um, the unholy alliance because if they had blanket coverage, all those major leagues, they might feel a bit more emboldened, be like, we ain't changing. But when you've got a few teams stepping away, you know, can Arsenal really go into an elite league and say, yeah, we should be playing in Bayern Munich uh, (laughs) and not going to be there. Look, Bayern, Bayern Munich would give us so many slaps if they played us. So... You know, for me, there's no integrity in the competition if we're at the top tier and Bayern are having to rough up, you know, Everton or or whatever other team we've got in that year. So, um, yeah, I, I don't... If they can get through the early years, like three, four years down the line, Bayern might join. But I also don't see this European Super League as being that successful. If it joins, I really do think that even the viewership that is around the world and who might not feel, you know, you know, what's so amazing is when you hear about the international fans of Arsenal, because obviously we're attached to the club, you know, with our fandom and you hear about the way that someone in Miami talks about Arsenal and the kind of law, the, the, the traditions, the, the, the um, spirit of the club that they, hang on to, even though tangibly they've got nothing to do with the club. They've never lived near it. They've got, you know, not around the club, but they will draw back on when we won the league in, you know, uh, in the 80s or or, or in the uh, 60s or something. And it's like, well, you know, you don't, you, you weren't even alive. You weren't, didn't even know the club existed at that point. But they, that's what they buy into through knowing that history and those traditions. That's the part that they feel makes them an Arsenal fan. And I think, if all the real fans, the Arsenal fans, the local fans, disappear, I think it would become much less of an inviting uh, prospect for people who are not necessarily involved in football trying to get involved in it because the core, the core support of the club is something that's actually quite uh, romanticised for people looking you know, a lot of these guys are coming from American sports where it is very sterilised and you can have all fans in the same area and, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it can get a bit silly sometimes. The passion's not there in the same way. So I think one of the things that draws people in from outside of football is the passion. And if all the core fans disappear, the passion may well as well and therefore the product depreciates. Dan, what do you think? I, I, I think it's going to be successful. Um, I, I just think that, like I said, the only per- I, I just think it's good for everyone. I think the clubs make more money. I think the product will be better. Um, I think it just takes UEFA's power away, and I think it's great that that happens. Um, it, sure, it just compounds some of the things which we're already seeing, the bad things, which is the kind of the expensive football, right? I mean, it's too expensive for the everyday person, and the concentration of of success amongst like a handful of teams. But I think that's that's a trend that's already been happening for 20 years. Um, but I don't see I don't see any negatives. I just like I said, I think it's a rebadging, and I'm trying not to sound like a broken record, but it's a rebadging of the Champions League. Um, and I the only people I see losing out are the, are the people that should lose out. Um, you know, I think 
your your APA and FIFA are just despicable organisations. So, so I quite quite enjoyed that part of it um, for all the reasons you said earlier about not clamping down on racism for you know bunging officials to get the world, hope the World Cup and, and all of these things. So I think you're going to see a lot of PR and a lot of noise, but it's it's hot air from people protecting their own interests. Um, why shouldn't the clubs, like the union, um, you know, get together and, and form their own tournaments? That, well, I, can I just just on that quick point though, Dan? Um, so you know, you said who else loses out, and it, of course, when you frame it like you know, you wait for losing that, no one's crying for them, or no one should be. Like they deserve little to no sympathy for my money. But Leicester lose out, and we know Leicester lose out. West Ham lose out if they get there. What do you say to those clubs? Like, because it's all well and good saying, you know, uh, these clubs are responsible for 95% of the finalists in these major competitions or whatever. If you earn your spot in the Champions League, you earn your you earn your spot at the top level of football and the financial rewards that come with it. And without that, they've done it for nothing. And we get in because of what? Trophies we won years ago when we're shit now. I, the, you know? You, you make a valid point. And um, if I weren't an Arsenal fan, I'm sure I'd have a totally different uh, take on, on this part. But I'm 100% biased for the mitt in that. Um, <laughs> I, 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 do think, I do think they will still get a crack. That's the interesting thing because the top six spots are already taken. So I think if someone's exciting, I'm, I'm sure they're not going to leave the five spots. There's going to be a criteria. They just haven't negotiated it. And I'm, I think they're leaving that open deliberately as a negotiating tool for the FA and get some endorsement from it. So they'll say things like anyone who finishes pop, who's not one of these six teams or wins the FA Cup or whatever will qualify. And I, I think they're deliberately being vague on it because it's going to be a bargaining chip um, later on. So I, I think I think there's opportunity for these people. I, I do. I think if Leicester come out and win the league, anyone who's going to demand for Leicester to be to be in this. Um, it also the other interesting thing that I wondered, um, or like off of that, like a Champions League two, there's a lot of great teams that aren't in this in this twenty. Like you, you have a meritocratic second European trophy. The Europa League is, is boring, right? It's it's been boring the whole way through. It'll be boring through the Villarreal game. It's usually boring until the final. Like creating a a, a, a second tier of this, which I think is going to be in the plan, could be interesting. Matt had an interesting point yesterday. He's like, why can't you have European football for second division clubs? Like maybe maybe that opens them up to like creating additional revenue streams. I know that you end up in a in an overly saturated content world, but if that's the way it's going, you know, it might be interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't sound like my dad, but to kind of harking back to the good old days. But you remember the cup winners' cup and things like this, where we, you know, on that cold night, that cold night in Denmark when we won it, um, there were great tournaments: the cup winners' cup, the UEFA cup, the, the European cup. Um, why can't it be like that? So I think you're right. There's going to be a second or a third tier tournament for. I think, like I said, it just displaces the central body. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time. I really appreciate you, uh, you both joining. Matt's already ducked. Um, to you know, he's been doing deals with the, the the devil these last two days. Probably off to do something wicked to a puppy. Um, <laughs> Dan, it was great having you on. Thank you for joining. Um, and Johnny, uh, like. Everybody's. This has been quite a fractious podcast with a lot of emotion, a lot more emotion than normal. Um, 
like send somebody somewhere else like your latest podcast who's got a special guest this week i'd love to hear about that uh yeah um just a reminder that uh, i do run the how's your father podcast uh it's a podcast dedicated to all things fatherhood and uh, i have a special guest on each week and we talk about different angles and this week is a real kind of arsenal focus because i've got arsenal legend uh nigel winterburn as a guest on this week's podcast so if you you know you've if you were thinking about listening to my how to father podcast this this week will be a prime opportunity to do so and you can get it wherever you get all of your podcasts awesome um thank you for joining if you're listening to this podcast jump into itunes give it a five-star rating dan i hope you've got an iphone i will be checking in to see if you left it a five-star rating a, a little bit later now you've uh, joined for an episode and on that note um ciao for now Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more, surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network.